Well, good evening. Um, like Joel said, my name is Josh Firth. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Grace. Um, and have been, Jenny and my, my wife Jenny and I have been here uh, from the word go. So we've gotten to go from Joel's living room to, Jeremy, need me to do something different? Um, to a couple of somebody else's living room, to another church, to this church back in January of 2017. So um, to stand here and, and look out at um, a, this group is it's really humbling, but it's also really exciting to see what the Lord continues to do and build and grow His church. Um, and so, um, like Joel said, um, if you've been with us for several years, we've historically done um, a summer series in the Psalms, this long alliteration title, where we've taught through multiple Psalms in a summer. I think one summer we did Proverbs um, as well, but the wisdom literature. Um, and like you said, this summer we're doing um, a summer series in a Psalm, one Psalm, Psalm 23 to be exact. Um, so no pressure there, right? Just probably the most well-known chapter of the Bible in history. Um, and so, but we are, we're going to engage with that slowly. Um, we're going to savor it and pick it apart like a, like a fine, like dining meal, um, this methodical kind of savoring study. And so this week we're going to focus on verse one, uh, Psalm 23, one. Um, and as is our custom, we'll pair that with a reading from the New Testament, um, in the book of John chapter 10 and all of us, the elders, we all preach and structure our things a little bit differently. And for me, um, I've just found that I like to let you know where we're going to go, kind of what the structure of the sermon is going to be, um, so that you can, as we're reading this together, you have that already in mind. Uh, it gives you an idea of kind of what to look for, or what it may impact for you. So this afternoon, we're going to look at four main points about verse one of Psalm 23. We're going to look at what does it say? What does it mean? How do we struggle to accept that? And how can we then accept the hope that it communicates, right? And just to keep the main thing, the main thing, before we go any further, if you only take away one thing, if you're not a note taker, but you write down one thing, this would be it. There's nothing that we need that the Lord doesn't have, right? That's our focus time. So I'll say it one more time. There's nothing that we need that the Lord does not have. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, um, open with me to Psalm 23. We are just going to focus on verse 1, but I'm going to read the entire psalm um, in, its, in its entirety. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then from John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you tonight, and uh, Father, I just ask that you would do the work that only you can do, and that is that you uh, would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us tonight, Father, and that by it, we would be changed to be more like you, to reflect you more, and to show more of you in the world. Let me pray all these, pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned before, and Joel did too, if you're new to Grace or this is your first summer with us, we usually give Joel a break um, at some point in the summer and the elders take a turn or get an opportunity to, uh, to speak to you guys in a, in a vulnerable and unique way that preaching affords. I should say up front, that was not the elder team's, um, wasn't our idea when we signed on. Um, that, was, that was Busby's idea. Um, and so... Um, I don't know about the other guys. Uh, everybody has different responses to it. Um, I get personally both excited, but also a little bit nervous, which is not something I actually typically struggle with at all. Um, I get excited because I know that that deeper time in the Word will be enriching for me. It will be good for my family. That'll be a huge blessing in my life. Um, I, do, I get excited to just share what the Lord places on my heart for our church body and our family and um, what that will be. Um, but I get nervous too, um, not to speak in public, that doesn't bother me actually at all, or to stand up here in front of you guys or to have 150 pairs of eyes just stare at you. Um, I get nervous because I know that I won't be in control. And that newsflash, for those of you that know me, I know that's not really a revelation that I like to control uh, things. I know that's shocking. But there are lots of factors when you do this that you can't control. Like I might not get to pick the text that I preach on. I did not choose this. Um, uh, I won't know what order I am in the rotation of, of when, I'm, when it comes up. Um, I know that I'm going to write my sermon, um, and then at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning, the Lord's going to be like, say this instead, and I'm going to literally scrap it all and rewrite it that morning, and that has happened five summers in a row. Um, and so when Joel told us that we'd be preaching on Psalm 23, and in particular that I would have verse 1, it was the first time that I wasn't nervous at all. Um, literally, this is very stupid, um, I thought, easy peasy. I mean, it's like the most well, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. I mean, all I have to do, that's like a softball, like right down the middle, right? Going to knock this one out of the park. Everybody knows the verse. All I have to do is tell them what it says, tell them what it means. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, like, it's right there, like, it's plain language. I, and I distinctly remember thinking the thought, the words, I got this. And I'll just go ahead and tell you as a believer that that's a really terrible thought. Like, you don't got it. I don't got it. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I did not have it. Um, and so... Um, part one of our time, we'll come back to that in just a second, but part one of our time, what does it say? Um, and I already know some of you are already thinking exactly what I just thought. Like, Josh, we know what it says. It's obvious. We get it. The Lord is our shepherd. We're like sheep. We've all heard the analogy. We're easily distracted. We get lost. We're in need of protection from evil. But like a shepherd, Jesus leads us and guides us and provides for us and protects us and takes care of us. 
that like the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, they want for nothing. So how much more would he care for us and take care of us? I know you know all those things. And you're right. It does say that. And that is incredibly important. And it's true. And that is what this verse says. But what does it actually mean when it says, I shall not want? What does that mean? And I think here, if we start to scratch and we get a little bit more beneath the surface, there's this tension that we bump into almost immediately. I think there's a tension for us as believers between what we know, that is, what does the text say? Like we just, we just said that, what does it say? And what does it mean for us? And I would argue, and I think that's kind of what this is, is my, I'm trying to persuade you. I would argue that what it means is that we as humans constantly mistake our wants and our desires for our needs. That we confuse or replace seeking the Lord's provision with our own striving and effort when in fact, not just this verse or this chapter, but all of Scripture promises that He'll provide for every need and that we'll never want for our real needs because Jesus will provide them if we depend on Him. And let me be clear. I mean, the words want and need are important here. He doesn't promise to fulfill your every want or every desire. What he does promise us is what we need. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation, eternal life. That's what he promises us. Our needs, but not our wants. And just as an aside, let me pause here for just a second and remind us and remind myself that that is all of our hope. Like We could stop there, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. That's the sermon I wanted to preach. That's all our hope, that he's sufficient for everything that we want for nothing with Jesus, that he's given us freedom from sin, from death, and access to the riches of his glory and righteousness and life eternal. We could stop there. All of that is true. All of that is our hope. All of us need to be reminded of that regularly. But going back to verse 1 and where I didn't have it, right? that's where I wanted to stop. If we know what it says and we know, or at least we can agree on what it means, or at least if you'll go with me and, and follow this journey that for right now, agree with me that that's what it means. Then I found myself left with the question, which was our third point. Why do I struggle to accept that? And honestly, um, and being really transparent, like I did not want to answer or look at that question. I did not want to. For days, I wrote a different sermon. Um, I considered and I planned to make this sermon about what it says and what it means, the truth and the hope of the gospel that Jesus supplies our every need. I'm not saying that to be flippant, quickly. Like I said, that, that's a sermon in and of itself. We could stand up and proclaim that every single Sunday, and we do in some form or fashion. Right? Our job up here, Joel's job, the elder's job, whoever's preaching, is point to Jesus. We have it taped up here on the podium. It says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's what we ask every person who comes up here to do. But underneath that, I felt my mind and my spirit just repeatedly being pulled back to my own personal struggles that prevented me from resting and like leaning into that truth. 
And I kept finding myself asking, why do I struggle to accept this? And beyond that, why do I struggle to find real hope in it? And maybe some of you guys struggle with that too. And for me, that struggle is control. Um, So talk about an issue I did not want to preach on. Um, Nothing will make you, by the way, feel less in control than preaching on the topic of control. Um, I already know that I struggle with that. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to examine it. I did not want to pray about it, think about it, dig below the surface of that. Like the rapper NF says, that picture ain't blurry at all. I just don't want to see it. Um, which is true. Um, I went so far as to try to get people to tell me not to preach that sermon. I texted my wife, I texted John Wells, and I was like, hey, here's what I want to preach. Here's what I sort of kind of feel like I might be maybe kind of being led to preach. Like I watered it down. And both of them were like, yeah, you should do number two. (laughs) I was like, come on. So I didn't really like those answers. So instead, after that, I went to society's foolproof source for advice, Instagram Reels. Um, Well, you're laughing. I'm kind of joking. I didn't really go there for direction. I went there for distraction. But this really happened. The very first, I mean, I'm not playing. I texted Jenny. About 10 minutes later, I texted John Wells. I got his reply back, and I was like, I don't like either one of these. So literally right after that, I was like procrastinating, pulled up Instagram on my phone, and the first thing that came up in my feed was an Enneagram post. I'm an eight, by the way. And it said, it's one of those reels, you know, it's that music, the little montage, and it says, what each Enneagram type needs to release. I'm like, oh, okay, that'll be interesting. Number eight, control. I'm dead serious. Um, and so here we are. We're going to talk about control for a minute. Um, So yeah, on a serious note, I would argue that most of us in some form or fashion struggle to accept that Jesus can and will meet our needs and that we don't have to want because of control, right? That we struggle with that because we don't want to let go of that, that we want to be self-sufficient, That we let anything and everything except Jesus drive our actions, our thoughts, our wants, and our desires. That we seek control in our own lives or to wrestle our lives maybe into a controllable state, right? So then that begs the question, why do we do that? Again, I don't know everybody in this room, so I can only answer for me. But I would bet that it's because we're driven by things like fear, anxiety, perception, performance, security, and our wants that surround those things and what we want for each of those than those that blind us to our actual needs that we have in Jesus. And this isn't unique to society or us. Like, I think that this psalm really hits to it. I mean, the author of the psalm, David, we're not going to spend time really looking at his life right now, but Just as an example, David knew this truth firsthand. Think about his story with Bathsheba. He sees something that he wants. It's not a need. It's definitely a want, right? He pursues that. It falls apart, and he tries to control the entire situation instead of confessing and turning it over to the Lord. 
There's lying, there's killing, and ultimately David pays the price of that with the life of his son. And we're not any different. We want our lets, we let our wants drive us to try and control outcomes, control people, control our work environment, our spouses, our kids, our money, our things. But newsflash, control is an illusion, right? And we have traded the illusion, the want, and we have pursued it in place of what Jesus knows we need. Um, I'll give you a sort of funny but personal illustration about trying to be in control. So um, Jenny and I have three boys. All of them, if you've been around or you know us, you know we have three boys. Um, boys are like the standard commodity in my family. I think there's one girl on each side out of like 20 grandkids, right? Um, girls are really hard to come by. But when we got married, we were dead. We were convinced, like in our hearts of hearts, like irrationally convinced that we were going to be the ones that were going to have girls. Um, we're like, yeah, we're going to have girls. Like there was no question about it. And so a year into our marriage, we found out we were pregnant. We're like, great, yeah, let's go find out the sex of this baby. It's going to be a girl. It's Winston. <laughs> right? It's Winston. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. So we wait a few years. And we decide, okay, we're ready to try again. We're going to do all the things that guarantee you a girl. (laughs) All the things, guaranteed, right? Um, Eat the right food, certain time frames, days of the month, tried and true methods. And we had ourselves a little baby Thatcher. That's a boy, (laughs) by the way, for those of you who don't know us. Um, So fast forward another three years and... Um, Jen convinces me our family isn't complete, that we should try again. And so we do all the things again. And I mean, I'm not playing when I say like, when we go to the ultrasound tech each time, we're like, we're having a girl. I mean, like we're pick, we don't have boy names really picked out. We'll have like a list of girl names and like, here's one guy, right? I mean, it's like, we're picking out pink stuff and all we're, this is what you're going to do. Um, and we just know we're going to produce this, you know, beautiful, perfect little baby girl whose his name is Shepherd, right? <laughs> um, and so... I say that in a funny way to say, like, they are not what we tried to control, but they are absolutely what we needed, right? We didn't know that, but the Lord did. If we had been controlled, if, if we had been able to choose, we wouldn't have the blessing of Winston, Thatcher, and Shepherd, And we wouldn't see the unique expressions of the Lord that we need to see daily through them. Just like in your life, in my life, in every facet of whatever it is you're trying to control, we, you, I, we are missing out on the unique expression or what we are to learn or depend on from Jesus by looking to ourselves. We're not reminded of Jesus in the same way. We don't know his love and his promises in the same way. So let's stop here for just a minute. And I want you to take, take a second and think about that thing or those things that you're trying to control in your life right now. Everybody's got something. Maybe it's grades because that results in success or a current or a new job that will surely add happiness or fulfillment or if you'll get married or when you'll marry or if you'll have kids because that will bring satisfaction or where you should live or what house to buy or where to send your kids to school because it's what's best and it's what you need or it's what they need. 
or being permissive of other people's sin because it keeps the peace. FYI, not rocking the boat is a form of control. You see, we all have stuff. I've got stuff. You've got stuff. And we all think our stuff, our needs. And we want to control those. And we want to do it ourselves. Which led me to the last question, which is how do you stop? Like, how do you accept the fact that stopping and resting in not wanting, just wanting Jesus and the hope that it communicates. Maybe to be 90s cheesy, how do you let go and let God? How do we rest in the assurance and cling to the hope that there's nothing we need that he doesn't have? I don't have like an easy answer for you guys. I have a lot of questions. If I had an easy answer, I don't think I'd be preaching this sermon. And I'm not standing up here pretending that it's easier, that it doesn't come without cost. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote that God foresaw every part of our life, every desire, every joy, every disappointment, every hurt, every sorrow, but that he specially armed us, you and me, to go through it, not without pain, but without stain that he would supply all of our needs and he would faithfully sustain us, providing all that we needed to go through life. And if that's true, right? If hope is true that in Jesus we want for nothing, then maybe the way you start to move towards laying down, I have your, I should be saying our desire for control, for moving towards accepting hope is by asking and wrestling with the same questions I wrestled with this week, and I'm just going to read them off to you. What would it look like to let him lead you? What would it look like to let him guide you? What would it look like to let him direct you? What would it look like to let him be your satisfaction? What would it look like to let him be your provider? What would it look like to let him be your protector? What would it look like to let him be your shepherd? Or in another way, what would it look like to let go of control, of fear, of striving, of worldly security, and of performance? And to just rest in and rejoice in hope, the hope of Jesus the hope that Paul writes about in Romans 8 when he says that in hope we were saved. Hope that is a strong and a confident expectation of the saving work that Jesus has already accomplished. Hope that is a strong and a confident knowledge that we are his sheep. We know his voice. We can follow him. That he does give us eternal life. We cannot be snatched from our hand. That he is our shepherd and we shall not want. What would that look like? So let me pray for us, and then the table will be open. Father God, we we just come before you, Lord, acknowledging that we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, that we spend most of our life striving and pursuing things other than you or trying to control situations and 
spin them in a way that um, brings about a desired outcome that we have when, Lord, what we need most is you. So I pray that you would turn our hearts and our eyes and our attention to you. Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to see you clearly, to depend on you for all things. And pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.